So good to just hear from Peter and Makrae. We've had the privilege to, to be overseas with them a number of times in their streets of Akmar and Amsterdam and see the work that they're doing there. And just uh, what a cool, cool perspective, the partnership of what's happening in, uh, in your ministry, through your ministry, and what God's doing all around the world. And, and we get to be a part of that. I hope we don't lose sight of that, that, that partnership that God's called us into. Well, we're going to begin a series on 2 Peter. Pastor Bobby laid the groundwork last week on uh, the Apostle Peter, and this week we're going to dig into the book, and over the next five weeks we're going to continue kind of churning through 2 Peter here. But um, let's just think about this for a moment. If you, if you had a dollar, or if I had a dollar, for every time that I've heard somebody say over the past year or two that our world is just crazy, Or our world is crazy. Like, I don't understand what's going on in our world. If you got a dollar for every time you heard someone say that. I mean, it's, it's the reality of our world right now. It is chaotic. And as I spent some time through Second Peter, that's, that's really the theme that's come through as I've been studying. And how to find clarity in chaos. And chaos was no stranger to the early Bible times either, to the, to the first century followers of Jesus writing to, they were, they were fearful for their lives because of a, a Roman leader named Nero who was um, Christians and went on a rampage not shortly after this letter was written. But they were starting to hear the rumblings of these things in the towns that they were living in. I mean, they were first
But I want to take us maybe a little bit of a of raising a family or, or getting older and, and helping. of those different challenges and these false teachers. Got him moving. But anyway, um,
exposed, but look back at what God has done in your life.
doesn't want that right now? Who doesn't want in a... in love with God and walk into a deeper relationship with God, we receive what he says here, grace and peace and abundance. May, the idea is here, may it be multiplied, may it continue to grow, that you will continue to experience grace and peace for whatever chaotic situation you may find yourself in. It will continue to grow. He goes on in verse 3, he says, his divine power has given us everything, get that as a key word, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Again, here's this word again, through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. This idea of knowledge that Peter's going to talk about appears over 15 times throughout the, the little three chapters of Second Peter. It's a key theme throughout this, this whole book. As Peter's kind of laying, knowing that his time is numbered, he wants us to know what it means to walk in an intimate relationship with God, and that is the key to it all. He says his divine power has given us everything we need. You know, I think we, as humans, we're just, our, we're, our nature is to make excuses, right? Just kind of like, well, if, but, not yet, maybe, next year, let me just wait a little bit more until I have, you know, we're just, by nature, we're kind of excuse makers. I know I am. It reminds me, last week we were, we were camping at the family in more Day weekend, and at the campsite they have this cornhole tournament. It's like a really serious thing. Like all these campers come out, and these guys have been like playing cornhole for an entire year. It's like their moment to like destroy everybody, right? And so, um, so inevitably, it's like that's the competitive nature of me. It's like, yeah, let's go toe to toe and let's, let's throw some cornhole bags. But my kids want to play, and so we always kind of mess around, and we get obliterated within like the first two or three rounds of this cornhole tournament. But so we're warming up, and we're, some friend, we're camping with some friends, and we have the cornhole out and at the campsite, and we're throwing. And my daughter wants to throw cornhole, and so we're, we're doing this together. And uh, I told her, I said, look, I'm not holding back. Like, we're warming up. I got to get this, you know, my arm right and my, my trajectory of my beanbag has to get right here and all that kind of stuff. And so um, she's throwing her beanbags and continually coming up like three feet short of the wooden, like, ledge of the cornhole thing. And, um, and so, you know, as a, as a good father, you would expect me to kind of get on my knee and show her, like, here, here, hon, this is how you ought to throw the beanbag, right? Like, let's get some legs behind it and really, like, give some oomph to it. Um, no, I looked at her and said, no excuses, girl. Get that beanbag on the wooden board. Let's go. We got to get this on there, you know? And, um, and she just looked at me with these little eyes and said, Dad, but, but I'm like nine years old and you're like 40 years old. Like, it's not going to work. Like, she has this comment. I'm like, no excuses. We're getting this done. No excuses, right? But his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You see, again here, the key is knowing God. It's through our knowledge of him who has called us in his own glory and goodness. And so you're trying to figure out how to navigate through a chaotic situation in your life. He's saying, look, you have everything you need to live a godly life. You have everything you need to navigate through that chaotic situation. 
And this isn't like a fluffy statement. Like, to say anything less would be an understatement of the relationship that God has called us into. We have everything we need for a godly life. It's through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. See, he called us by his own glory. Remember, in Romans 3.23, we're told that, that we all have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Like We don't have anything to, to kind of offer God in that relationship. He called us by his own glory and said, I want you, I want you, I want you. It's by his own glory he's called us. And the idea of glory is an interesting term in the scriptures. And I, just, I refer to it as the wow factor of God, like something that just kind of drops your jaw, the weightiness and the, the awesome nature of who God is. And I want to just read through, maybe just kind of clear your head for a moment and, and allow these words from Psalm 19 to kind of just kind of, kind of cover over us as we read these and think about the glory of God, the, the, weight, the awesomeness of God for a moment. Let me read through this. In Psalm 19, the psalmist writes, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Only God can do these things. As he sets the landscape of the skies and he establishes where the sun is going to set and the sun is going to rise. This same God is the one who has called us into relationship with him. It's out of his glory, out of his one-of-a-kind nature that he said, I want you to be with me. And he did something about it. So we continue on in verses 3 and 4 here in chapter 1. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, in verse 4, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You see, he wants us to look back because there's something significant when we do that. Something significant has happened, and he talks about these very great and precious promises. The scriptures are filled with promise after promise from God, but let me just refer to a few of them for you this morning Jesus said, I will come back and take you with me, that where I am, you may also be with me. It's a promise from Jesus to those who follow him. We have another promise in Ephesians 1. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. As followers of Jesus, you've been given the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And it begins to change the way we think and the way we act. And he begins to do this work inside of us. Jesus said this, I will build my church. We're part of a winning team. I will build my church. Nothing will stop this movement in the world. We're also promised that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And we are promised that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. These are just a sampling of some of the promises that we have from God throughout the scriptures. These great and precious promises from God. He says, so that, so these promises are not so that we can just feel really good about ourselves, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. This is incredible, that we get to participate with God, that we get to experience his life living through us. I participate in a number of things. I participate in a gym. I participate on sports teams where I kind of serve as the role of a head coach for a team. I participate in our church. These are all like two-way things, right, where I participate in a gym, and I show up, I pay my, my, my dues to the guy that runs the gym, but I, I then receive great workouts and great connection with the other people that are working there, and we have great camaraderie, and we learn and we grow. You know, whether it's coaching a team and serving in that role, you get to be the head coach, but then you get to experience the joy of watching kids grow and learn and, and develop as young men and, and things like that. And so there's this, this partnership and this experience that you get to be a part of. But we get to be a part of something special that God has called us to. He says, I want you to be a part of my divine nature. I want you to experience what life was really meant to be. You know, the word for participant here, the actual the emphasis is on the participant. In other words, it's like you, like you get to be a part of something that cannot be stopped in this world. You get to be a part of it. You get to be a part of that. Note the opposite of this. It says that you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This divine nature which gives life. When we're following Jesus, we find life. Because the opposite of that is a world of corruption, of corrosion, that eats away and rots away, and we succumb to the chaos in our lives. It reminds me a little bit of my truck, an old F-150, where the rust is just beginning to eat away at all the fender areas, and I've got holes in the sides of my truck that are a 2007 Ford truck that's just starting to kind of rot away, and the, the, the corrosion is kind of going in there. And those are the choices that we face, to partner up with God and experience life or to be a part of this corruption and corrosion that eats away at our heart and our soul. He goes on in verse 5, and he says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Now, he's going to go through a whole list of things. And so your obvious question is, well, what does a divine nature look like? What does it mean to participate in that divine nature? What does that look like? Well, Peter's going to describe what it looks like here. And it's something that takes place on the inside of us through our hearts being transformed. He says, for this reason, make every effort. That, that little phrase, make every effort, it show, shows up a number of times throughout Second Peter as well. Like this is a guy, remember, this is a guy who's kind of, he knows his days are numbered. And he's saying, look, I have made every, I have, I have fought the good fight. I, have, I am finishing the race. I want you to, I want you to make every effort to follow Jesus. Make every effort. There's a responsibility on our part to say yes to God and to respond to God and to put up boundaries in our lives to keep us away from certain things and to protect our hearts. There's a responsibility that we have. So Peter's talking about this responsibility. He says, make every effort to do that. 
But he goes on and he lists these things off. He says goodness, right? Goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. And so there's this list of things, these inner qualities that he's talking about. This is what it looks like to participate with the divine nature. He says, make every effort to do that. Make every effort. This, this idea of goodness, it's, it's moral excellence, but it's based on your faith, based on what Jesus has done in us. It's not just being like a nice and smiley person and being a good, like that, that kind of good person, but it's this like moral excellence, this integrity and this honesty and this transparency that is, that is kind of birthed inside of us because of what God has done in us. This knowledge he talks about is experiential knowledge, and it's this idea of a growing knowledge of God, that our relationship with God ought to be growing and moving forward. Self-control. This isn't just to put your head down kind of thing and try to, like, a good diet, you know, like, I just can't eat this or I can't do that. This is really the idea of self-control is a response we have to Jesus that allows us to say yes or no to something based on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Perseverance is the ability of self-control over and over again. It's the ability to say yes or no to things over and over again and that consistency that we build in our lives. This idea of godliness is godlikeness, is, is to be like him in our character and, and these things beginning to bubble up inside of our hearts. Mutual affection is the idea of brotherly kindness, of caring for our brother and, and their goodwill. And love, the self-sacrificing love that characterizes our Savior Jesus. Now notice the, the trajectory here. I don't, I don't know if there's so much uh, an importance of like how these things are listed in order other than the fact that love is last, I think is significant. But it starts with this idea of faith and this seed of faith and then it builds these roots of goodness, of knowledge, of self-control, of perseverance, on and on and on through this list of things that Peter talks about. And it's capped with this idea of love. In verse 8, Peter goes on and says this, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that idea of an increasing measure. It's this growing relationship. And they will keep you from being ineffective and broken. In other words, the words that are barren and unfruitful. They will keep you from being unfruitful as we pursue this divine nature, as we pursue this life with God through an intimate relationship. And those things begin to bubble up in our hearts and they start to pour out to other people. And that's what's called fruit. That's fruitfulness. And fruit is for other people to eat and to participate in, right? And to experience. Now notice how the the knowledge here, again, is tied closely to action. This is that that um, he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this idea that you can know about God and be in, unproductive and ineffective, right? And so knowledge is tied to this action. True knowledge of who God is is tied to true life in him, that list of characteristics that he just shared here. It reminds me of what James said in chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Well, Peter goes on here as we begin to wind down our, our time this morning. 
He says in verse 9, But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. This idea of nearsighted means you can only see the things that are like real close to you. You, you fail to see the bigger picture. And all of us have a, a bigger picture of life. And that's what Peter's calling us to be reminded of. He's like, look, the chaos is right in front of you, and it can seem like it's right here, and you can't see beyond it. You can't see through it. It seems like it wants to consume you, whatever that is in your lives. And, and, and what Peter's saying here is like, don't be nearsighted. Don't just see what's in front of you. Get the bigger picture of what God has done in the past. Look back. Look back. And as we're going to see throughout the rest of the, the time in Second Peter over the next few weeks, you're going to look ahead. So you have this, this beautiful picture of what God has done in your past and what God is going to do in the, in the future and what God is doing right now in the present. And he's saying, don't be nearsighted. Don't be blind and only see the, the hurdle that you can't get over or that seems like it's consuming you in your life. That's the idea when he says, forgetting what they have been cleansed from their past sins. You get this idea of looking back. Like, don't forget the work that God has done through his son Jesus. To rescue you. Don't forget about those things. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He says, if you're going to be saved, be saved 100%. The most miserable person in the world is the half-committed Christian who is just enough in the world to be miserable in God and just enough into God that they are miserable in the world. And that's the idea of being nearsighted and blind. Like we have this faith that we proclaim, but we're failing to see all that's there and we're failing to step in and be all in. Just like Pastor Bobby talked about with Peter last week, that he was an all-in kind of guy. He had failures, he had struggles, yes. But he stepped forward and said, I'm in, I'm all in. And Peter expects the same for those who he's writing to and consequently us as well in the year 2022. I'm reminded of this great truth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul writes this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The idea is like live like you are new. There is a new creation. There is a work that God is doing in and through you. Live in that. We must learn to live in that newness. It's like when you get a new car or something new and you, you kind of spend a lot of attention to detail, right? And like, you're like, oh, you're like cleaning everything, like working everything. You're like learning all about the different gadgets and all the different things that come with the new, whatever it is you just you know, purchased, and you're, you're really in tune with that. It's the idea, live like you're new. Don't lose sight of that, that God is creating a new work in you every single day. There's something new that he wants to do in and through us. And so he wraps up here in verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will never stumble. Life seems chaotic. There is a whole bunch of different things kind of coming at us. He says, you will never stumble. You will never stumble. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. He says, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in just a moment, we're going to participate in taking communion together. So if you're at home following online, I want to encourage you to grab those elements, if you will. But I want us to be reminded of this great promise. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, 
the writer says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that no matter how chaotic our world may seem, we have been given a kingdom that will not be shaken by those things. When Jesus gathered with his closest followers and he, began, and he instituted this thing called communion, he shared what it all meant. And he talked about the bread, which represents his body, which was broken for them. And he had this cup of, of wine and he shared, he talked about this being the symbolic of the blood that we poured out for them to purchase them, to pay for the penalty and the punishment of the sins of the entire world. And then he said this, and we're instructed to do this with regards to communion. It says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the idea is that you should keep on eating this bread and drinking this cup. It's not like a one-and-done kind of thing that you do. It's not a standalone thing. It's a, a thing that we ought to continue to do. That's why it's a practice of ours every month that we come back to this and be reminded of the death, the life and the death of Jesus, our Lord, who through this has invited us to participate in his divine nature, to experience life. Like Jesus said, I have come to give life and give it to its full. And he did that by laying down his life on a cross so that all who come to him in faith may receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life that begins right now. So let's eat and drink this bread and juice together. We take the bread and we hold that in our hands, be reminded of the life that Jesus lived for us. Let's eat together. You want to carefully peel the top of your juice there. Let's drink the juice together and be reminded of the death and the life of Jesus and that one day he will come back and set things right. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this, this message from Peter, this work that you did in a, in a young man's life who, as we looked at last week, was one guy who would take a step forward and oftentimes take a step back. But God, you did a work in him that set a fire in his heart to give his life to tell the world about who your son Jesus is. And Lord, as we read through this little letter here in Second Peter, we're reminded to make every effort that though the world may seem all-consuming and, and the chaos may be rising at an all-time high, you've given us some simple instruction to look back look back at what you have done through your son Jesus, 
to rescue us. And that that ought to motivate us, Father, to live a life for you. And so I ask that, God, that, that you may challenge us this week to step into that divine nature that you talk about here. To ask you, Lord, to fill us with that goodness and knowledge, self-control, perseverance. Would you fill us with those things, Lord, so that we can live for you in this world? And so that the people that we come in contact with, Lord, would, would taste and see that you are good. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.